So we began uh, last week just discussing, as I said, uh, questions have already been coming up to rabbis about the upcoming Yom Kippur holiday. Um, and will we be, have to fast? Will we not have to fast? I think a lot of people are, are praying we won't have to fast. But um, by the way, there was a, a phone conference with rabbis. I'm getting some feedback, I don't know, from who. I'm going to mute everyone for now. Um, sorry, here, one second. I just I muted myself. Give me a second here. Mute all. The, qu- the, the question is, do we have to fast Yom Kippur this coming, this upcoming year? Um, that was the question we started with last week. And uh, just uh, interestingly enough, I was privileged to... Actually, wasn't I wasn't here on live, but I heard a meeting with Fauci with a number of rabbis had a meeting last week from the OU uh, on the phone, a phone meeting with Dr. Fauci, actually a Zoom meeting, and uh, he discussing with him how and when to reopen shuls, and specifically within the Jewish community where we're known for too much social distance, too too much uh, socializing, and lovey-dovey. Um, so the question was how to deal with it, and he specifically said he's okay with certain guidelines for the high holidays to open shuls, at least, as far as that's concerned. So, Ed, sorry about that um, for you, Eddie. Um, but uh, but that, he did recommend it. He, interestingly enough, he said, you know, of course, there should be six people. You have to do it in a room that's large enough to have six people between uh, each person there, etc. Um, so the head of the OU was talking to him, said... Uh, as Jews, if we say six feet, it's going to end up four feet. So we're going to do eight feet between each participant. So this will end up, maybe you'll end up at six feet. But obviously it's a work in progress. It's, um, but So shul is one thing, as we mentioned last week, almost all the responses that I've seen previous times, previous um, pandemics, discuss shortening the service, um, having it over by 10 a.m. in some cases. Um, so that's at least, hopefully, we'll try to influence the shuls with that part. But as far as fasting, so so we mentioned, we started last week discussing the story of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, which is part legend, part story. It's not clear, like all good Jewish stories, you know, it's, it's not clear uh, what exactly happened, what didn't, how much embellishment there was. They say about the, the Baal Shem Tov stories, now, the famous Balshanta was the founder of Hasidus. So uh, I once heard um, a rabbi of mine said, if you, if you believe, if you don't believe any of the stories, you're a heretic. If you believe all the stories, then you're an idiot. Um, so it's somewhere in between, as many times Jewish stories, um, as we mentioned last week, the issue was, did he actually make Kiddush? Did he allow the healthy people to break their fast too? It's clear that something happened in, in 1848. Um, in Vilna, the question is, how far did it go? Um, did he, as we saw, many biographies quote, seem to be quoting the story saying that he did permit even healthy people to eat. Um, others say, and he himself made Kiddush. Others people say, no, he didn't. And clearly there was an argument at the time um, between in, within Vilna itself, um, as we discussed last week. So, so leaving the history now, the question is, so how do we, what can we derive from there? Because clearly no one, it's not clear what exactly the rationale was on the two sides of the story. Um, meaning, what was the argument about? Whether you can 
permit people to break their fast with consultation of doctors, with not, and we'll discuss all that. So, so I want to get to the halachic part. But just to be clear, so normally from stories itself, if you hear a legendary story, because as we're saying, they tend to be embellished, and that, so it's very hard to to pass in a halacha from a story. Now, you can't just say, okay, well, we heard a story about this rabbi, uh, you know, I read it in a book somewhere, I saw it on the internet, and now we can rule halachic ruling from that story. Um, especially this story, which is clearly very confusing, and the facts are not are not clear. Um, so to 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 make to extrapolate a halachic ruling from a story would be um, problematic. But um, that being said, there are halachic svarim that do discuss parts of the story, meaning a response from past from and even uh, maybe even contemporary times at the time which give us some insight into the halachic aspect of the story so I'd like to focus on that today and then see how to apply it to to our situation today yes Shelley one second let, you, let me unmute you okay go ahead Yes, okay, so let me explain. So it's a good point, very good point, and it's not the first time you're being heretical, so it's fine. Um, yes. Um, so uh, so the, 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 first of all, there is no stories in the Mishnah, as far as I can recall. The, the Talmud has many stories. That is true. Um, now, the, the difference between those stories is, first of all, there's one source, it's in the Talmud. Now, um, and they're stating the story, and they themselves, who either experienced the story, or you right, they might have one generation before them, or whatever the case was, but um, there's usually their, whether you want to say it's historically accurate, I can't say, um, and I would be scared to say it in this venue. Um, but um, but the question is, meaning they are deriving the halacha from that story that either happened to them, or a student sees um, what is what his rebbe did a certain act and learns from that story. All right, so that's that's usually the context of stories in the Talmud um, when we derive halacha. By the way, um, which which uh, that it says you're right that it says explicitly in the Talmud that if someone someone may learn from seeing their rebbe let's say doing a certain act. So if their rebbe is a uh, scholarly person, they could assume that that's permitted based on what their Rebbe's doing. Um, so you're supposed to learn from that, from actions of, but, but in this case, this is, this is a very different venue. By the way, even the Talmud, if it brings a story, let's say a Midrashic uh, a story about something that happened to biblical figures, we won't learn, the principle usually is we won't learn halacha from that. Because again, it's a medrash. Medrash is, is not clear. Is it actual fact? Is it legend? What? How exactly? What exactly medrash is? Um, 
So, so therefore, in most cases like that, we won't even derive halacha from the midrashic story of biblical figures. So just to show you how stories could be problematic. So in this case, so again, in the Talmud, when someone says, I saw um, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi do this, that's different. They saw with their own eyes and they're stating, obviously he held this was the halacha because he used beer for Kiddush, let's say, for example, something like that. You're right, so we see you can use bear to make Kiddush just as an example. I don't know if that's true, I'm just um, picking that. That's the first thing that came to mind. I'm locked up for a very long time. Um, so, uh, so the, uh, right, so, so the, but here you have a story which happened in 1848. Again, there's, there's maybe one or two claiming eyewitness accounts, um, but it's it's clearly there's a distortion as to what exactly happened. There are different. There's at least four different versions we mentioned last week of what happened, and even what year it was, and, and etc. So clearly there's a uh, confusion of facts here. So then to derive to go ahead and derive Allah from that would be well problematic. And, and there's, a, there's a response I'll read later on from Rabbi Asher Weiss, who's one of the contemporary rabbis who writes this. He starts off saying, uh, the question posed to him was this, was a question at the beginning of Corona, I believe, this is very early on, it's his third response I'm written on it, and again, unless I'm, my Hebrew is not so good, not so great, he, he was, the question was posed, should we abolish fast? I'm assuming this was referring to the fast of Tanit Esther before, which was the beginning of Corona, or the beginning when they first, one second, many, when they first started Corona, and he calls it a flu at that point, flu type, so I'm not sure if he's referring to Corona, he doesn't use the word Corona there, but he may, he starts off saying, you want to say, based on the story of Israel Salanta, he says that's something we can't rule from that story, because obviously it's very confusing, the facts are very confusing, so to rule from a story, but then he goes on to say in the next paragraph that, uh, since it's quoted in previous halachic responsum, so that's the only that's the only way we can rule on it. If there's halachic responsum written um, previously that uses it, that would be our source. But just from a nice legendary story um, that you heard about, you know, your grandma, great grandpa, it's it's hard to make a ruling, is what he says. So Manny, go ahead. Let me unmute you one second. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Um. Okay. Now, yes, go. You're good. Yeah, so that's a very good point. Yes, the Torah doesn't say explicitly that one must fast. The language of the Torah is affliction, as we discussed in many past classes over the years. Um, you shall afflict yourself. And, and the Talmud has two pages trying to define affliction and concludes with the main affliction is not eating. Other afflictions might be you know, visiting your mother-in-law or something like that. So the Talmud goes through various types of afflictions um, and it concludes with this, with this, that affliction, when the Torah uses the term affliction, we see in other contexts, it means lack of food. And a specific amount of food, as we know, um, it has to be the size, um, more than the size of a fat date. That means eating less than that is still, you're still afflicted. So anyone who's on a serious diet knows. Okay, so, so that's a good point, Manny. Thank you. Okay, so, this, so getting back to, so, this, so again, as we said, there's, there's different versions of the historical event. So let's go with the most extreme, let's start with the, we'll begin with the most extreme version of the event, which was that he himself uh, got up in shul. Let's assume he did make Kiddush himself, he didn't, and that's not really so relevant or may, um, at this point. 
um, for this for this explanation. But he clearly, the, according to one version, he gave a carte blanche heter um, leniency for everyone, including the healthy people, to eat. So that would clearly seem to to show that Rabbi Yisrael Slantan, um held that during times of pandemic, even the healthy people should not be fasting. Not only people who had, in his case, cholera, or in our case, uh, coronavirus, it seems to be he would be giving a blanket hatter. He said, no one has to go to the doctors, you don't have to be assessed, just eat. Everybody should eat. Okay, that's again one version of the story, which uh, according to the two eyewitness accounts, or by his son at least, I don't know if his son was an eyewitness, but his son, son in one account of his son, in one uh, account quoting an eyewitness says that wasn't the case. But let's assume, like the other sources, including the Chafetz Chaim, who seemed to imply that he did tell everyone, even the healthy people, to break their fast. So the question would be, what would what would be the rationale for that, and what would be the two sides of the coin from a halachic perspective? Okay, so so again, the simple. So let's just take that at face value. The simplest explanation would be, just medically speaking, fasting. Um, during a time of pandemic is probably can lower your immune system just medically speaking and, and might not be uh, a good thing for even healthy people and might risk them of, of low or increasing their chances of, 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 of catching this disease that would be one issue and I did by the way try to do my minimal rabbinic research just medically but that's not my field um, so you know, if you Google, and actually we're in the middle of Ramadan right now, so there's a lot, there has been many articles written about it. Um, is fasting okay? Is fasting a problem during um, coronavirus? So, as everything on uh, medical, there you, there's at least six opinions um, as to whether it's good, whether it's bad. Some say it's even actually could help. Um, it's actually better to fast. So, so really, I have no idea. But if anyone wants to do that research, just medically speaking, um, what, how does fasting affect coronavirus? Um, it could be helpful. But, but um, here in this case, what we're saying is Rabbi Salanter obviously held that fasting, which we know causes weakness, can make you more susceptible to the fast, even as a, even though right, as not to the fast, more susceptible to cholera, even though right now you're totally healthy. Okay, that would be the assumption. Now, this is found, to find my paper there. So there is, prior to this, um, many, uh, many years earlier, let me look up when he lived, there was uh, a fellow who was a Rav, a Rav in Transylvania, I believe, somewhere named the Hassam Sofer, or Moshe Sofer. Um, try to see when, what years exactly he lived. He was one of the greatest, uh, uh, what we call the Hungarian scholars at the, uh, in his time. Um, I'll just look up his dates. So Wikipedia says he was born 1762 and he died in 1839. So he died prior to this story of Rabbi Salat of 1848. But he has a responsum where he basically says very clearly, um, he doesn't say what the question was here. I printed it out, I'll just read it to you and translate. It says, um, he's writing to a rabbi in Brandenburg, assuming that's Germany, and he says, I'll need done, um, on your 
question on your issue. Dibarta Rofei Mumchmi says the expert doctors have spoken. Haomrim, that they say, and, and again, I'm, it's talking about cholera epidemic. As you know, the cholera epidemic, this was the, I think, the second or third round in 1848. So, um, I don't, again, I don't know what year this was written in, but he died in 1839, so clearly cholera had been, uh, had been around. Um, he was, by the way, the rabbi in Pressburg, um, and he was the leading, it says, rabbi of European Jewry in the first half of the 19th century, according to Wikipedia. Anyway, so he writes here, he says, this is that you're saying, um, that the expert doctors are saying, if you leave your home, with an empty stomach, on the day of the fast, and it's not clear which fast he's talking about, but the assumption is it's Yom Kippur, um, because any other fast, as we're going to see, um, almost every other fast besides Tisha B'Av is, it says very clearly in the Shulchan Aruch that if you feel ill in any which way, you should break your fast, because that's a rabbinical minor fast. The only biblical fast we have, or if you call it biblical, maybe some won't, but if, if, it's, uh, if that's how you understand, if you, the Torah is telling you to fast on Yom Kippur, so then that's the only biblical fast that exists. Um, the, even Tisha B'Av, of course, is a rabbinical fast, came much later in history after the destruction of the Temple. So the other four fasts, which is uh, the 17th of Tammuz, the Tainus Esther, the fast of Esther, um, what else is there? Asar B'Tevis, the 10th of Tevis. So all those other four fasts, besides Tisha B'Av, we're very lenient with. It says a pregnant woman, nursing woman, should break their fast. Anyone who has a, a, a serious headache can break their fast. It says, the Shulchan Aruch says that Chazal, the rabbis, when they instituted these fasts, they didn't institute it for someone who's weak or ill. So there's no obligation to fast if you're not feeling well. Um, so, so that's clear. He's, probably, he's not talking about one of those fasts. He's obviously talking about a more serious fast, which would either be Tisha B'Av or Yom Kippur, but the assumption is Yom Kippur here, and he says, this that the expert doctors have said not to leave your home on an empty stomach on the day of the fast. He says, someone who does that, he says, Damo B'Nafsho, First of all, the time, he says, when there's pandemic around, when God is, you know, it's, it's tough times, times of anger, what he calls it. He says, if someone, you know, does fast, he says, they're taking their life into their own hands. Um, during these times of the pandemic of cholera, so he says, this rabbi's writing to him, he's first explaining his issue, that he's concerned what's going to be on the, on the big fast day, which again, is, the assumption is referring to Yom Kippur. Um, so he says, Hashem, so he starts with saying, God should heal all the ill. Um, and he says, B'tshuva, Dvar Shmuel, so then he goes on to quote he, a case where hit the Bipshitas Lisha Bria Menekes, where he permitted for a healthy nursing woman, um, but the case there was where her child, who she was nursing, needed to have the mother's milk, meaning, and, and the issue was if she fasts, she might not have enough milk to, for her son who was ill. So it wasn't even about her, okay? So she was a healthy woman. He's quoting a different response. I'm at the t- uh, I don't know who this is, Dvar Shmuel. So he says, Hitler la shaloli sanos. He, he permitted this woman, again, a totally healthy woman, who was uh, nursing, not to fast, meaning, she was totally healthy. Since the child um, needed her milk, and that would be a case of suffering because nefesh. 
So he, he's bringing that as a proof text, which I'm not sure I understand the analogy, but he's saying that you see, even for a completely permitted healthy woman, not a completely complete healthy woman, we permitted her to break her fast because maybe her child would be endangered if she fasted, her, her sick child. So he's, what I understand, I'm assuming his analogy is that even though you're healthy now, but if by fasting it might endanger you at a future time or endanger someone else by you fasting, so then you're, you are allowed to break your fast on Yom Kippur. That's what he's, he's pointing out, um, I believe. And again, he's, this is in a different outbreak of cholera before this one, before the 1848. Yes. Right, what I'm saying is we're permitting a healthy person who's currently healthy to break their fast because of a potential future right now, meaning the baby's sick, but the question is, will the fact that she's fasting affect the baby's illness? Maybe yes, maybe not. She might not have enough milk. We need to give the child as much milk as possible. And if she fasts... Right, exactly, but all the more so. So if you're going to get sick yourself, well, that's, I think that's what he's going to point out in a second. I was in this case, even allowed the mother who was totally not sick and not wasn't, there's no danger to her getting sick, allowing her to break her fast because of the only a doubtful case of Pikoch Nefesh of the child in the future. Yes, yeah, yes, which is even a bigger Kiddush, that's my point. And I think that's going to be his point. It's even, you know, it's over there we're allowing her it's not even about it. if you yourself might be in danger by fasting, so that might be e easier to permit. And maybe you'll say that. Let me see. I haven't looked at it in a while. Let me, let me look at it. Um, he says, he goes on to say, um, He says, And it's obvious to me that this is true halacha. He says, We know a healthy person. He says, um, we allow a healthy person, and this is, this is a, I think, the key topic here, which is we allow a healthy person, we have discussed it in the past, who's healthy on Shabbos, to violate Shabbat, because if they don't violate Shabbat, they might come to being in danger. So even though right now they're not in the category of an ill person, but if they don't do acts on Shabbat, let's say they don't take their, uh, I don't know what would be an example of that, um, so we allow them to violate Shabbat, because it might, if they don't, it might bring them to a future illness. So, Hachanami um, says, so, so to hear, Yochal Abari Yom Kippur, oh, he says explicitly, Yom Kippur, that the healthy person should eat on Yom Kippur, Lahatzal, oh, Atzal Vlad, he's going on the, that other response, that we allow this healthy mother to eat on Yom Kippur to save her child, Misafik Pikoch Nefesh, from a doubtful case of endangerment to life. Mikolshkin, he says, mutter, and this is what I was just saying to Rob, Mikolshkin, he says, surely, shemutter l'bari lechel, for a, an individual person, for a healthy person to eat, misafik sakanasatzmai, because of the potential um, doubtful danger that might come to themselves, afa pishu ke'et bari, even though right now, he's totally healthy, he or she is totally healthy. Ulam raksha avir mu'ufish. It's only in this case the air is bad, which is that's how they understood pandemic, which as we understand today, there's bad droplets in the air which could cause um, someone's health to be in danger. So he says they're a healthy person, just the air is bad. Um, therefore, he's saying, and, and if she fasts, that might make her more susceptible to the bad air. Um, so, so that's more or less this response.